Hey y'all, the wind is blowing outside. Our cat Rocky is staring out, watching birds flying around, wishing he could reach through the glass and eat them. And it's time to put together a relatively short part two of the Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show. Getting to this later as usual as expected, but getting not too far away from digging out of the hard drive collapse and a bunch of things getting set back on my end. One of those... I uh, was really hoping to have this monstrous interview to uh, countless amount of people for the 20th anniversary of the worst racing movie ever made, Driven, that anniversary which falls on Tuesday, the 27th here of April. Yeah, uh, too much of a setback for me to be able to get that done. So I think like that movie, which was an epic failure, maybe it's just an homage Maybe it's the universe telling me you two need to fail, not meet that exact 20th anniversary. And uh, it falls perfectly in line with Driven. But I can tell you that I'm hoping to have it done at some point in time in, I don't know, why don't we say May? (laughs) That would be fun. Um, Looking through the list of interviewees before we get rocking and rolling with your questions here. Former CART CEO Andrew Craig, former team owner of the PacWest team, which was the featured team in the movie, Bruce McCaw, uh, our man Dario Franchitti, Derek Daly, Don Helms, who is from CART, but uh, heavily involved on the production side through CART, Igor Meglik, who is part of the uh, big part of filming the vast majority of the action scenes. Uh, Great, great guy. Uh, Let's see. Keith Allo. Was a VP of broadcasting back then for CART. He was probably the top person directly involved in making the movie. Our man Mark Blundell, a.k.a. Jimmy Bly. Uh, Max Pappas, just spoke with him last week. Uh, who else? Mike Zizzo, former CART comms VP. Recently, former NTT IndyCar Series comms VP. And then finally, our man Doc Olvey, Steve Olvey, who was in the movie as well. So who knows? I might include one more person, but yeah. Uh, It's going to be 10,000 plus words of insanity. But when it gets done, truly, I'm putting that movie to bed. All right. Big thanks to you as well for the overwhelming number of questions. Massive thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. And TorontoMotorsports.com as well. They are on the ground for the very first time at St. Petersburg with a trailer, selling all kinds of T-shirts and hats and stickers and you name it, IndyCar driver stuff, nonsense from this podcast, Please stop by and meet our good pal, Derek Koska, owner of TorontoMotorsports.com, and also Roger Warwick, the man who draws cartoon figures of me and does all the logos for the show. So hope you can pop by and find them over in what they call Gasoline Alley at St. Pete, which is, I think, right between where the IndyCar paddock is located and Pit Lane. What are we doing for this short-ish part two not going to dig so much into the race that we just completed. A couple things we'll cover off, but some of them a little more generic and or pointing to the whole season, if not St. Pete this weekend. Uh, let's see. Thomas Gross, uh, Duncan Idaho 11, a couple others as well. Uh, Chad Pritchard talking about strategy, but also talking about passing at Barber, which didn't seem to happen as much as we'd hoped. And the general questions here are along the lines of, is this a foreshadowing of something that might suck 
for the rest of the year. Um, just getting into that in a very basic way, I don't think so. As people are honking horns outside, they're happy to hear we're doing the part two of the show. That's awesome. Uh, we live across from a hospital, by the way, so sometimes there's a lot of uh, cheering when folks come out. Um, think about this. Barber, brand new track surface, crazy high grip track surface compared to when IndyCar was there last. So what was the result during the race? Other than our man, Sebastian Bourdais, my French fry, locking up a brake or locking up a tire as well, and doing a little bit of a side-by-side hip check with a Grumpy Pato Award, we didn't see the normal amount of lockups and you name it uh, going on at Barber, and that's because there was so much grip available. So Chad, Thomas, Duncan, Ryan Terpstra, you name it. I don't think we're going to see that continue. I think this is really an outlier track going back to for the first time after didn't happen last year due to COVID coming back tons of grip. And so the mistakes that we tend to see on low grip street courses or just permanent road courses that have somewhat worn track surfaces didn't have that last weekend. I'd say in general, don't be afraid though, that it's going to continue. Let's go to Jordan Darwin says, looks like Ryan Hunter a was destined for his helmet to be smashed by Joseph Newgarden's right front tire says, thanks for the, uh, arrow screen today. I greatly, greatly join you in that. Jordan says, uh, anything to add beyond your article? Let's see. Uh, when I spoke with Ryan for that, he mentioned he was heading to church. Uh, I don't know if he was actually, but uh, if he wasn't, he definitely should. Hmm. You know, there's a uh, there's another question added here on this topic of arrow screens, Jordan. Um, I'll just take that and try and answer the last part of your question. Anything to add? And uh, bear with me here. I'll do my best. Steve says, MP has the Indy the NTT car series. A uh, team reached out to its drivers, team owners, crew, and media and told them not to bring up the arrow screen or to cover the arrow screen. He says this being such a hot topic uh, last year concerning how hot the cockpit was, he says no pun intended, uh, and whatnot. He says it's gone completely radio silence on improvements that were to be made. He says hashtag me personally. Uh, I think it is what it is. Well, there you go, Mr. Montoya. Okay. As I always try and do on the show, I want to tell you the absolute truth about everything and also share as much behind-the-scenes stuff as I can whenever possible. On the overarching topic of, huh, why wasn't a big deal made out of the arrow screen's effectiveness and we think possibly saving Ryan hunter life, he said, He's likely alive today due to the arrow screen and not being hit in the head by Joseph's right front corner. So this is not hyperbole. This is the person in the vehicle expressing thanks for this safety device. Been asked not to get into it, so I can't and won't. So when you say anything else to add, Jordan, really not much, other than I don't believe there was any need to change anything. I believe it withstood 
operated just fine and will be used again this weekend without having to change any components. Could be wrong, but at least when I spoke to Ryan, he said, yeah, the thing was pretty much uh, unblemished. I would love to tell you some more, Steve, about making a bigger deal out of it. Why maybe hasn't there been a bigger deal made out of it? Uh, From the series side, I'll just share with you in my surprise and tell you that there is a reason, just one that uh, was shared with me and told to keep that to yourself. So, yeah, uh, weird. Let's see. uh, Ty Schorler says, why do some drivers still use Zylon visor strips on their helmets now that they have the aero screens? Just a matter of regulation, Ty. Uh, rules say that if you have the latest, newest specification, um, our friends at Bell, for example, the uh, the narrower aperture opening um, that has the Xylon built into the helmet itself instead of a add-on to the visor strip, if you have that latest, newest specification, and I don't remember the number, uh, you don't need one. If you do not have that, then you do need to continue using the Xylon visor strips. I hear your the overall point you're raising. Hey, you've got this giant uh, bulletproof window in front of you. Why do you need to wear a helmet that has the added stuff on it meant to uh, provide greater strength and integrity if it were to be hit by something if, uh, as if the aero screen wasn't there? Uh, well, I would say, why would you not want to have that maximum safety at all times? I did mention, quote, bulletproof. Who knows? Could something penetrate it? I mean, of course, there's always a possibility. Would you want to say, well, we decided to downgrade driver helmet safety specification because the aero screen? You know, I, I frankly have... It's been a little while, but I know we've had at least one or two questions with folks tossing in somewhat jokingly, like, do they still need to wear helmets? Do they, you know, why do you need all of these things to protect you, your head, if your head's now protected? Um, Again, I realize that it may be completely redundant thanks to the aero screen, but eh, uh, I would not want to ask my driver to downgrade to something less safe uh, just because it's there Uh, where else should we go here a couple of great questions about competitiveness and performance louise smith our pal hey pal uh just love reading your updates on facebook and seeing how you continue to fight like heck and make great progress so thanks for taking time to send something in here as well uh, she says, good morning, and says, with only one each in the top 10, what do you make of Penske and Andretti's first race of the season compared to Ganassi's with three cars in the top 10, two on the podium? Says, uh, last year it was just Dixie and his momentum. Could that have rubbed off on the team as a whole? Says, I'm sure Mike Hole would have an opinion about this. Yeah, we know for sure that if you subtract Joseph's spin and he and Colton coming together, and we'll throw in Ryan hunter as well, and Felix Rosenquist as well. Reasonable expectations that a lot of the traditional front runners that got taken out or whatever took themselves out would be a factor. 
Does that mean Pato would not have been the fastest thing on four wheels uh, or Palo would not have had a good chance of winning? Yeah, not necessarily. Just would expect there to have been a deeper fight up front. Uh, I'm not concerned so much on the Andretti side. Would say Colton obviously messing up a bit in qualifying damaged his potential starting spot. Rossi was obviously quick like a bunny. Hunter Ray just didn't have the best time in general. And I'm blanking a little bit. Hinch obviously uh, didn't have a great time in qualifying. So just say the Sunday results on the Andretti side were largely affected by their Saturdays. Obviously, Rossi and the strategy that they went with with three stops made things a little bit harder for him. But I don't anticipate them being out in the woods and not thoroughly represented in the top 10 this weekend. On the Penske side, power, I mean, that guy, boy, <laughs> yeah, pretty strong by him. Obviously, Pagano, as I wrote about, Mr. Invisible didn't help himself or they didn't help him with a three-stop strategy, of course, but just a bit of an outlier of a overall event, I would say, Louise. Do I think Power is going to be a contender for pole, as will Newgarden? Do I think Scotty McLaughlin should definitely rise up and show even stronger since he's going back to a place he's raced at in IndyCar? Yes. To me, is still going to be the one, right? And uh, many of you may know, love the guy. He's truly a dear old friend. I want to say nothing but positive flowery things about him just on that hashtag me personally front. Just from a professional standpoint, though, I can't, you know, lay down and not say, as I've said and written uh, and wrote in every session (laughs) report last weekend on Racer and in my post-race column, uh, he just wasn't there. He was physically at the event and participating in it, but he wasn't really racing uh, at Barber last weekend. I hope they find whatever it was that they missed because, boy, I don't want to see this happen two races in a row and really have a significant hole to dig out of. So altogether, I think we're going to have a wacky Firestone Fast 12 and then Fast 6 run here on Saturday, Louise. And can't wait to see this. Where we'll watch for sure is to see if the two teams that we thought were going to be good at Barber right out of the gate and weren't, that being AJ Foyt Racing and Ray Hall Edelman Lanigan, they rallied overnight, had very good days on Sunday, but they were nowhere leading up to the race. Will they experience that two weekends in a row or will they be on track, you know, back on track where they should be? Could we see one of the the top three, top four teams, Andretti, Ganassi, Penske, and now Aaron McLaren SP? Could one of them kind of poop the bed a little bit? Could. This is why I love this stuff. You cannot predict what we're going to see week in and week out. All right, where do we go here again in this somewhat abbreviated episode? I think we're going to go to Ed Joris says, does... Team Ganassi have a better handle on rear tire, especially red tires, than Andretti. Alex Pillow did not have a problem with tire wear. Dixon looked like he had the same pace. If he was not stuck behind power, could this be a trend? Would say that they certainly are in a very good place setup-wise. I don't know if I would say that they're in a 
better place than Andretti after one race. Again, sample size is small. All the aforementioned crashes and problems that sidelined some of the uh, the drivers of note. We'll clearly get a better feel this weekend, but he, you know everybody's in a similar tire wear bucket at St. Pete because there's just not much grip to be found. So if you're off a little bit, it would certainly expose itself more to high grip place where you're not running along in similar lap times or similar degradation rates with everyone else on a street course where nobody has any grip. You really have to be pitiful uh, to stand out there. So I don't think there's a big issue here, but that's given you one race out of 17 as a sample size. So could this turn out to be a trend? It absolutely could. Could it turn out to be something where they're super awesome and Ganassi isn't by chance? Could happen just as well. Uh, We will know shortly. Um, I think, obviously, one race at St. Pete. Well, okay, so that's two out of 17 down. Then we go to Texas as my voice starts to crack and puberty kicks in. We go to Texas and do two oval races. Totally different planet in terms of setup and whatnot. So going to take just a little while, I would say, Ed, to build a proper trend. Uh, Jim Kaiser, our pal who puts together the questions following the amazing work done by Tim Falkowitz, says, hey, Marshall, why don't you talk about the excitement from the opening weekend of the Road to Indy? Yeah. (laughs) Wrote about that as well. And, boy, just a kind of a matchy, matchy, weekend in terms of the IndyCar race being totally upside down from what anyone I think expected it to be. Hey, we had that to a pretty fine degree in some ways in the road to Indy, the, uh, HMD GRG team expanded out to four cars to each representing each camp, but all working under the same tent or something that makes my brain twist into a pretzel. Uh, yeah, boy, they were quick in testing. Boy, they were quick in testing, but because I'm an idiot, and I guess having seen it happen for years and years on end, expected Andretti Autosport to do what they've done in Indy Lights, and that is rise to the top and kick some ass, and that did not happen last weekend. And no disrespect to the Andretti team, but it made me very, very happy. The uh, the Cooper Tires shod road to Indy, top step, turned upside down. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Would also say just a little bit of a bigger picture, Jim. It's not as if the teams that have gone up against Andretti Autosport over the last three, four, however many years uh, have lacked great talent, great fighting spirit, great everything. But Andretti was this big, best drivers, best funding, best everything, seemingly impossible to take down. You wonder if that's a thing that limits other teams from wanting to step up to Indy Lights or come in brand new, you wonder, oh man, you know, these guys always win. Why even bother? Not saying that has happened a lot, but you, it happens in racing. I was really happy to see that was not the case to open the year. Not that I want any team to win or lose, but just for the health of the series, I love the fact that the uh, HMD GRG team, Linus Lundqvist, 
David Malukas took home both wins. Uh, the Andretti team didn't look like its normal self. Obviously, it's most highly touted rookie, that being Kyle Kirkwood, didn't have a clean weekend. And I know last week, I believe, I mentioned I was kind of hoping he'd have a little bit of a mess, not necessarily at Barber, but just in general. Adversity, not something he's had to deal with a ton coming up the ladder on the road to Indy. How would he deal with it? What would he do with it? I'd like the fact, little bit of a grimy weekend, not totally clean by any means. It's going to have to uh, button things up, clean things up going forward for sure and improve a little bit. Was impressed with his fellow rookie Andretti teammate, Devlin DeFrancesco, a pair of thirds. So, again, uh, what well, they weren't wins, but coming off a very strong Indy Pro 2000 debut last year, great to see Devlin there representing top Andretti driver for the weekend. Again, another thing that... Not a total surprise, but again, Kirkwood's the guy. He's been the name we've all been looking for, and I don't think that's going to change. I just was happy to see that this was not overly predictable. Uh, You look down and forth as well. Benjamin Peterson from the uh, HMD GRG side, specifically the GRG side, coming out of St. Pete fourth in the standings. So again, this is love it. I just love it. Uh, Braden Eves winning on his return to Indy Pro 2000 with exclusive Autosport. Huge, huge uh, thing for him. So happy. Hunter McElray, how do you not love that kid? And our good pal, Augie Pabst and his Pabst team. USF 2000, I don't talk about USF 2000 a ton. Not because I dislike it, quite the opposite, but... I'm always of the, hey, you. this is truly the training wheels level of uh, Road to Indy. Let's let's wait a little more till you get up to Indy Pro and then especially Indy Lights before we do a lot of talking about you. But great stuff across the board. And, uh, yeah, I loved it, Jim. I hope every weekend is like this where you go, all right, I don't know who's going to win. That hasn't always been the case. Uh, I think we're going to close... Yeah, we're going to close on one thread here. Got about 10-ish more minutes before we need to uh, start packing up and head out the door for uh, some Mrs. Pruitt appointments. J.J. Gertler, you're going to open up the final stretch of questions here, all related to the NBC broadcast. Uh, You're saying you thought the race was unusually choppy. Sounded like NBC had so many stories at Barber they are trying to present through the race. They didn't really convey the flow of the event the very end when power was trying to run down alex Pillow, um said you were uh surprised how often they were referring to lead battles while watching something else in the pack uh that may have fit in with the three great rookies theme or hey did you know jimmy johnson's driving an indycar stories um he said uh, a friend of the podcast lee diffie really seemed to sit back let townsend and paul do a lot of the talking not always on point says, Jesus, sounds like I'm grumpy today. Uh, very glad to have IndyCar back. He said, I'd just like to have seen the race. I know that I picked up on a couple of those things, JJ, but maybe not all of them. So either I wasn't paying close enough attention or you and I might have just viewed things differently. Uh, thought Lee did a pretty good job of trying to wrangle everything and fit everything they were trying to achieve. 
uh, to the best of his ability. Do know that there's new producers, director, you name it. So the choppiness you mentioned, again, from your vantage point, who knows if uh, there is a little bit of a stylistic difference or just new folks getting up to speed. Again, I didn't necessarily see that. Uh, I actually thought they did a pretty darn good job. But, again, that's uh, different eyes, different views. I, oddly enough, thought that Townsend actually seemed to fall back and really let Paul do a lot of the talking and thought that for the first time in a while, I mean, I was really impressed with Paul. It seemed like he was highly engaged, which is not always the case, uh, on point, brought energy, brought positivity, didn't seem to get too caught up in the sideshow of he and Townsend going back and forth, which, you know, I know that's their relationship and it's for those who like it, it's part of the become part of the broadcast. But I just thought that he was actually really seemed to be locked in and focused and delivering pretty good stuff. So uh, my two cents, uh, some of the other themes you mentioned here uh, are are brought to us elsewhere in the questions. Next one, Alex Corlean. How you doing, brother? Said, uh, the commercials on US TV broadcast were in mid-season form. Uh, besides the fact that we get ads every four laps, why do the TV directors feel the need to always go to commercial right when the leaders are pitting? Yeah, it's, it's weird how that happens. I know this here, Alex, it, it is certainly a shock to any uh, non-American viewers those who are accustomed to watching their sport or television in general without being flooded with commercials you tune in and watch how we do things and uh, yeah uh i saw one or two comments of folks saying you know it's un i assume those might have been folks tuning in for the first time i don't know if it would be to watch roman groshan his debut or otherwise but folks from europe or similar tuning in to watch IndyCar for the first experience going, what is all this stuff (laughs) that isn't the race that you guys are going off to every four laps, as you mentioned, it's just how we do things. Uh, I've really only known this to be what it is. Um, So for those of us who are maybe desensitized to it, uh, I guess it doesn't stand out as much, but certainly for folks coming in for the first time, yeah, if you enjoy the racing part or have a favorite driver that you want to follow, uh, it's not going to change. So, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, Alex. Let's see. Uh, Sean Lee. You're, nah, all right. Now you're getting a little silly on me here, Sean. Uh, you said, I don't mind the Paul Tracy and uh, Tony Bell off-Broadway production of The Odd Couple. He says, uh, the one thing, though, that I'd like to see is uh, Steve Matchett or Larry McReynolds type role from uh, that, like we see in other racing broadcasts. He says, the mechanic, the engineer, the crew chief angle. Uh, he says, I thought I read somewhere that Paul Tracy is going to be missing a few races this year. Yes, that is true, unless they decide to change that. Uh, he says, who do we have to call an email to get you in the booth to fill the role of the engineer broadcaster? Uh, face for radio notwithstanding. Thanks, Sean. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's, a kind of you to say won't happen. Don't email anybody. It's not, you know, uh, although I've done some visits on occasion, usually like an Indy 500 practice day where they're on live streaming for eight hours and have lots of time to fill. Um, you know, I've not once have I had anyone 
ask for me to do anything related to IndyCar. I don't expect that to change. So knowing that uh, with the mention of the new producers and director and whatnot, I think genuinely I I might not know anybody who's in charge uh, this year. So sending in such a thing would actually lead them to go, I have no idea who you're talking about. So uh, that's what I got to say. And so much for getting this all done before we left. Uh, came up short, had to hit the old stop button and run out the door and get to our long, long, long appointments, uh, on Thursday. So, Hey, it's seven Oh two PM on a Thursday night. They should have been up. Oh, I don't know. Long time ago. But as most of you know, I suck. And once you accept that, I accept it a long time ago, by the way, uh, once you accept how much I suck. No, everything else kind of falls into place. Uh, let's see. Let's finish up the last couple of things on this theme. Sean Lee, again, thanks for sending in that idea. Uh, I do enjoy analyzing things, um, but yeah, uh, they're never going to consider me, so let's not bother them. Uh, let's see. Steve Sell. Funnily enough, you should bring up this topic uh, about Jimmy Johnson and coverage during Barber. Uh, from the time you sent this in to the time I'm getting to conclude part two of the Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A, our man Robin Miller put together a commentary of sorts that you might read, and it would be something that you and some others of the opinion uh, that Jimmy Johnson was covered too much uh, might not like. So if you don't want to get angry at somebody, don't read it. But, uh, you know, before I mention that, what else can I tell you? I did learn a thing or two between when I hit the stop button about seven-ish hours ago or whatever it was and getting back to work. Hey, Paul Tracy, a thing I learned. Uh, Paul Tracy, I don't want to say it's a podcast bump because I said it on Monday that I thought he did a really good job and then mentioned it here i think as well um hey he's going to be doing the full season right look at that was only scheduled to do six or seven apparently after doing what i said and wrote about what i thought was a very fine job uh well apparently the people that give him money to provide those services decided that they need him to do it at every race again so of course, whatever I said had nothing to do with it. I'm being stupid. But, yes, uh, learned while out today that, indeed, Paul Tracy is expected to be everywhere again this year. So there's a fun little development. Uh, learned about an Indy 500 seat that I have been asked to not delve into and break, but, you know, Someone else could, who knows, but uh, there's another seat that is no longer available, so that's cool. Uh, So yeah, for you Paul Tracy fans, you're going to be happy because you're going to have full-time PT in 2021 on IndyCar broadcasts. So Steve, your question here, how many times during the course of last Sunday's race did Lee, Paul, and Townsend say the word Jimmy Johnson, the name Jimmy Johnson? Too many to count, I'm telling you. 
My wife and I started a drinking game with an adult beverage. Drink every time they said Jimmy Johnson. We had to abort the game early. Otherwise, we would have been wall walking to bed. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's a good one, Steve. Yeah, so I'm a thousand percent uh, in Robin's corner on this. I know that I've been saying for months and months on the show here, I've said it in print multiple times. Uh, it's going to be a while before Jimmy is effective as an IndyCar driver. There's going to be some form of mismatch of attention received versus attention deserved based on on track performance. All these things that we know, there's the one key thing, the one key factor. And again, I feel like I'm mentioning something from part one, but He's the most famous IndyCar driver in the world. <laughs> if we're talking active IndyCar drivers, he's now the most famous IndyCar driver in the world. Maybe Romain Grosjean could be, but at least for kind of the homespun audience, he's the number one guy. There's nobody, the average IndyCar fan, uh, North American racing fan, knows more than Jimmy Johnson. It's a sad indictment of many things and how many stars have have not been promoted as such uh it shouldn't be that way but it is so i get it little couple things just to to close on this steve and again man i, I realize this was the equivalent for some of you who got tired of hearing jimmy's name mentioned over and over again uh, for me, probably watching and others watching the Rolex 24 Daytona, where newish NASCAR Cup champion Chase Elliott was covered from the moment he stepped out of the toilet to the moment he got into the race car. And when he wasn't in the race car, they were covering him. Oh, and he, look, oh, he's taken another bite of his cereal. Oh, look, he's just consumed. Let's weigh it. Oh. 3.9 ounces of water with that sip. I mean, ridiculous. Get it, though, the NASCAR guy. And, hey, hopefully there's some NASCAR fans tuning in. And so, look, big name guy. He's biggest name of anybody in the race. Jimmy Johnson was there, too. But, again, get it. Here's the big name guy from the much bigger, more popular series coming to play in an arena where there aren't a lot of household names. So I get the part of trying to appeal to a mass of fans. And in theory, this is a part I wanted to uh, stick on here, Steve, in theory, significant amount of fans tuning in from that other form of racing to watch their person compete in the unfamiliar place. Oh, oh. let's just say the ratings at day Tone for the 24 hour did not necessarily match the desired amount of tune in from first timers and folks unfamiliar with IMSA. So the, Hey, let's cater to what we think and hope might be a giant wave of TV rated. Okay. We didn't get that. Uh, let's talk about Barber and TV ratings. Not bad, not bad not great as well so on network tv right 
less than a million people watched. Of course, we can look back historically and see a couple years where it was certainly better uh, than, say, when we were on NBCSN. That's cable, though. But anyways, so, you know, do I think they're going to radically change their approach this weekend and next? And uh, Well, I shouldn't say next. He won't be at Texas. But when Jimmy's in the car for the uh, next couple of months, if not the whole year, do I think they're going to dial it back? after seeing there was not a giant wave of TV ratings, new fans, NASCAR fans, whatever ones coming to see their man. No, I think there'll be zero adjustment to that. I think Jimmy's going to be the constant presence that is named at every race. Totally understand why. Totally understand there's a hope that maybe more fans will want to follow along and pick up and, you know, maybe they're lurking or weren't sure or who just, who knows. I understand the hope. I understand the reason why you do that. But yeah, um, I just wish, and I'm sure many of you wish as well, that, hey, there was a reason to just blow up the old mentions of run down the list of names, Herta, New Garden, Dixon, yada, 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 because there are massive amounts of people tuning in wanting to hear about their favorite widely known across the country race car driver. Yeah. What would be interesting, Steve, to close this? I don't know how you do it. I'm guessing it's possible. I don't know. How would one remove any and all viewing numbers that might have come in from Australia and New Zealand to keep an eye on Scotty McLaughlin? How would one remove, I don't want to just limit it to France, Switzerland, or otherwise in terms of Roma, but places where Formula One fans we would think in droves might tune in to watch his debut. I don't know if there are specific regions where we would think NASCAR fans might tune in to watch Jimmy be really interested if there was a way to take the Nielsen rating slash 921,000 people or whatever the exact number was and reduce that by wherever the regions were that tune in to see those three. There's a way to do that. It'd be really interesting to see what the number was and whether it's a significant drop or not. I fear not might be the answer, but hey, who knows? Uh, let's see. I'm going to take a look at the old clock here as well. All right, we're going to bolt in that Roma interview that I did on Sunday, which is like five or six minutes. Uh, I'll chuck that in here at the end. Why at the end? Totally forgot to put it up front. Just be honest with you. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Where do we go here to say goodbye? Uh, or, or do we say goodbye? Do I add in any more? Who knows? Um, Ed Haynes says, I understand Penske isn't going to throw money at problems, but wouldn't a drive to survive type of show for the month of May bring new fans? Be great to follow one of the favorites, uh, maybe a team on a shoestring budget says I'm a loyal fan, uh, that wants this, but would it cost too much? Hard to answer on the last part. Don't know what it would cost because I don't know how big the scope would be. Would it be a single hour-long drive to survive Indy 500? Would it be, you know, multiple episodes that get spun out? Into, again, I don't know. 
uh, it, that part I couldn't answer. I would just throw a couple of thoughts in here though. Ed love the idea. Uh, you are one of many fans who have said the same exact thing. Continue to say the same exact thing. Hey, IndyCar boy, that drive to survive deal sure is amazing. And we sure hear about a lot of people talking about it and how maybe they didn't know much about F1 before, but hey, uh, they do now. And it sure seems to be a very popular thing on Netflix. Um, who knows if Netflix would be up for just doing a copycat version, but you know, is it Amazon Prime? Is it Hulu? Is it whatever? Who knows? Um, Peacock, maybe. Hey, crazy idea. <sighs> I'd love to know, Ed, what this defy everything ad campaign cost is terrible. It's just terrible. It's going to move zero needles. It's going to do nothing. Uh, I was happy when I asked Jay Fry a month or two ago, whenever it was, hey, here you guys are considering maybe a drive to survive type thing and was told, yes, we're, you know, listening. We're, we're having discussions with people it would be an external thing someone coming to us wanting to do it outside production we would not put our own ims productions on top of this to do this surprise me quite a bit um i would just suggest ed overstating the obvious here man this is one of those things where you go I don't know if if a wait and see attitude is what feels like the right play here. We have NASCAR, much wealthier organization in terms of its willingness to invest in itself, also has a much more lucrative TV contract than IndyCar. So again, there's some practical differences here. And I know Roger Penske's worth a trillion zillion dollars, but uh, as you mentioned, he doesn't just throw money around. But NASCAR, as we see, I mean, what was the thing I saw today? Hey, there's a documentary coming on Bubba Wallace, and they're doing this and they're doing that. They have clearly realized that the drive-to-survive type fan engagement model, we want more fans. We have however many we have right now. We don't feel it's enough. Talking more NASCAR, F1's doing pretty good on fans, but they're still trying to grow, which is really smart, right? Be aggressive. It's that, yes, you're on pole, but no, you're doing another lap or two or three because you know you can just crush the rest of the field. Well, brilliant. And then you see NASCAR saying, hey, we aren't what we once were. Uh, We want to be more. Let's just try and do what F1's doing. And we're going to want to do more of this type shoulder programming and support stuff and there's a sitcom with kevin james that even if it's kind of terrible i'm sure it has made some new fans and then you get the series that we love it's under new management that has to see that this new extra programming this thing where you're not just trying to appease the current fan but to expose your product to a much wider international world, domestic and international, through streaming. 
and you take a wait and see attitude. You go, okay, uh, maybe that's a strategy that will lead to success and I don't understand it. Can we be really, really real here? How freaking tiresome does it get of always wondering why IndyCar is slow to do this when it comes to bringing itself, marketing itself, promoting itself, engaging with the world? Why is why do we always have this conversation? Not talking about safety stuff, not talking about engines and tires and dry, none of just hey, why is it that we always have a small amount of us when we are so believing and loving in the product and, and just evangelists for how amazing it is? Why are there so few of us? at this convention every week? Why are there so few of us tuning in, giving a damn? Why are there so few of us? There's maybe some practical answers here as well. How many CEOs and or leaders in general has IndyCar had in the last, say, 10 years, right? And I realize that job, the specific job title might have, be a little different whether it's president or ceo or whatever whatever but you know over the last 10 12 years what have we had uh tony george brian barnhart randy bernard uh derek walker ish mark miles jay fry now thankfully but now we've got penske entertainment with rp and greg penske and people overseeing new people overseeing every aspect of everything changes there as well so what does it mean we've had changes in the vp of communications who vp of of marketing all folks who would have different visions on how to do a variety of things not saying there's been no turnover uh at one nascar tower or whatever it's called in daytona beach but been vaguely consistent in some areas but i know overall there's certainly that one there one big name overarching in france that makes sure there is a common blueprint applied to so many things i'm not saying that everything they do is brilliant or that they haven't swung and missed or totally whiffed on whatever um just saying there's some reasons here where you go, okay, well, it does seem like change upon change. I I heard from someone who thinks there's going to be another change coming up with uh, a senior leader within IndyCar. Not saying it's going to happen, just saying someone who's very smart shared with me a little bit of a little bit of something that led me to say, huh, okay. I'm going to keep my eye out for that press release um, in the coming months but anyways maybe it's a little bit of a rant to close here ed i'm not saying that indycar drive to survive doubles tv ratings and just has scalpers standing out in front of every track taking in huge amounts of money double face value triple face value to get in oh it's been sold out within the first five minutes not saying that's going to happen, 
But if you're not at minimum doing what your competition is doing in an area that I think we all agree is important and beneficial, well, how's this? IndyCar's rivals are scrambling to do drive-to-survive type stuff, extra shows and programming and documentaries and this. They're, they're trying to feed this rabid streaming beast as much as they can all in the hope to build their audience base we could assume or just say with clarity formula one and nascar pretty decent audience sizes proven to be pretty okay at recognizing market trends and whatnot if they're going all in here whether they're doing it themselves doing it with an outside production company in partnership with a Amazon of this of that of the other, we could just assume that, okay, this is a train to get on. Why aren't we trying to get on it? So of course there's a million reasons, uh, whether it's the cost, whether it's this, whether it's the, whatever, all I know is man, this is yet another item that I wish we didn't have to keep talking about and wondering why, like some form of IndyCar video game slash sim game slash something. (laughs) How long have we been talking about that? How long? No idea. So, yeah. uh, Robin had his rant about folks being grumpy about how much airtime for Jimmy Johnson. And I guess I just vented a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'm going to take a couple more questions here. Why? Because I'm not exactly short on crazy, uh, crazy time limit. Uh, where should we go? Uh, We're going to go to Jack at Jack Swan on Twitter. MP, could you explain how the bars that the drivers control in the cars work and the impact they have on the cars handling performance and handling. Absolutely. Jack, uh, I don't know what you drive, but it's a pretty safe assumption that you have an anti roll bar up front and very likely out back. That's uh, fairly common. Wasn't always believe it or not, but fairly common. What the anti-roll bar adjustment levers and the uh, cables that are connected to them, what they happen to do is at the front of the car and the rear of the car allow drivers to adjust the stiffness or softness of the anti-roll bars. So on your road car or truck or whatever it might be with your anti-roll bars on your vehicle, non-adjustable. The, uh, they is what they is and your car handles how it handles. No cockpit adjustments with an Indy car with many race cars, knowing how things are not meant to go 200,000 miles before you throw it away, knowing how tires are, not really even meant to last the entire race in IndyCar, right? Multiple tire stops. Fuel goes in. Many pounds of fuel um, goes in, burns off. 
the handling of the car changes the balance of the car say the while racing and going into a corner the balance will change whether it's going into that corner with fresh tires and a full tank of fuel the back of the car the the weight the balance is leaning say more towards the back of the car being really stuck and the front of the car not so much then maybe towards the end of that stint when the tires are worn your fuels come down to almost nothing maybe that balance has shifted forward so the front of the car has more dynamic weight on it and it sticks a little bit better and the rear of the car the balance of the rear is the one that's a little squirrely well those anti-roll bars uh and the adjustments that you have really help you to tune the car throughout each stint as tire degradation comes in fuel load comes off and a car that might have oversteer tendencies or understeer tendencies drivers can adjust that by adjusting the anti-roll bars front or rear front and rear they could adjust both at the same time if they wanted to and alter the car's performance and handling by stiffening the front anti-roll bar which would make it roll less lean less into the corner uh, or do the same at the rear stiffen the rear to have it roll and lean over less or soften it to allow it to lean a little more and provide a little more grip dig into the track and provide a little bit more traction that way so Uh, When you hear them talking about bars, they're talking about anti-roll bars. And for for as long as I've been in motor racing, tools, a just mechanical linkage uh, is all we're talking about here. Levers that you depress, they lock into place. There's a little detent for where they're bolted into the car. There's little grooves cut that go front to back, and you push forward or pull push hold down the detent and either push forward or pull back and let go and locks into place and you have just rotated a blade on the front or rear anti-roll bar that based on the position of that blade flexes more or flexes less so i don't know if i have anything no i think it's still in storage i'll bring next time i'm at storage I'll try and bring home uh, an old cart era, I forget whether it was Lola or Renard, uh, front anti-roll bar assembly. And you could probably Google it and look it up and see it, but uh, it's pretty interesting. So yeah, you're just controlling how much the car rolls or doesn't roll front and rear. You have independent adjustments and based on not just tire degradation and fuel load but just driver preference too so we've spoken about on the show before some drivers prefer oversteer understeer neutral is a bit of a unicorn a rarity uh you have some drivers who prefer something close to neutral but rarely have i come across one that says i truly do not want the car to have any any preference of oversteer understeer i want it to be 100 percent neutral at all time it's dang near impossible to achieve but uh that's what they do i hope that was a good explanation if it wasn't tell me and i will try again or answer other questions that you have um 
Let's see. Evan Kramer, he said, did your ears deceive you? Did you hear during Sunday's road to Indy race while interviewing Trevor Carlin uh, mention that Connor would be full-time? Um, ag- oh, Connor would be full-time again and taking over the 59 car for the non-Indy ovals. Um, well, the fact that he raced the number 20 at Barber would suggest that that's not what he said since he signed Ed Carpenter Racing. Evan, um, so the non-Indy Ovals part would be the thing that we're hoping to have confirmed uh, and have expected for a long time. So it's a bit of non-news news, provided that does get formally announced. But yeah, uh, he's not leaving Ed Carpenter racing. Uh, Don Gregory, love this question. Would IndyCar ever consider hiring an outside design consultant such as Gordon Murray? to help design the next generation chassis for IndyCar and have Delara only serve as the constructor. Well, consider this. You are Giampaolo Delara. You own Delara. You're a large company. Could you foresee having a potential then a customer say, hi, we don't want you to design the next car. We just want to have you make the car that someone else designs. Is that something you think Giampaolo Dallara would agree to? I can't think really of anyone uh, who would agree to someone that doesn't work for them, uh, designing a car for them as dictated by a racing series. So I love the idea of Gordon Murray being brought in as a consultant, provided he wanted to consult, I would say working with IndyCar would probably be the angle here. But keep in mind, nobody can force Mr. Delara or any other of the limited number of major open-wheel manufacturers to use someone else's design. Would also say two other quick things. A, that probably be uh, something received as very disrespectful. And then also knowing from a liability standpoint and otherwise, um, yes, this would be something where I would imagine a lot of problems would happen because if they're not doing the full design and cannot vouch for the design, uh, but they then build it, um, so again, I think there'd have to be something a little bit deeper here. Uh, but I love the idea. Certainly, uh, IndyCar will have a voice in next chassis design. Uh, they have too many smart people on their staff with design experience, engineering experience, and so on to not have a voice. But here's the proverbial blueprints from Gordon. Go build it, Delara. Yeah, I, I can't foresee them saying yes to that at all. Too much pride, too much excellence, frankly, throughout their history of building race cars. Realize that not all of them have looked gorgeous. Realize some have been problematic. Of course, that's going to happen when you have built, you know, 100 plus different open wheel models over the year. But just saying, as a company, they're really good at what they do. Now, the conceptualization look in futurism and other things 
This is where you say, okay, Delara, this is the general shape we would like to see. Please make something very, very close to that. Uh, I could absolutely see that. And this is where I would hope a Gordon Murray or an Adrian Newey or similar uh, might be involved. Uh, That, I think, would be phenomenal. Uh, Jeff Bean, any idea if the uh, Toronto Indy is a go or not, he asks. Um, it also says, hope uh, hope you get to enjoy a nice, cold, dark beer. Thank you, Jeff. I'm overdue for one of those. No updates that I have heard. I know the expectation for Mid-Ohio to be a doubleheader. Uh, Mid-Ohio on the calendar currently, 4th of July weekend. Uh, is it 4th of July? I think so. Uh, and then toronto the following weekend uh i would of course love for toronto to happen if it doesn't again i would say just keep an eye out for a uh, mid-ohio doubleheader possibly let's see where else do we go um or possibly road america doubleheader again all depends on uh, what happens when it happens uh just looking here quickly to see what else we might cover off Daniel Ingleton, how you doing, my man? Marshall, another race, another stealthy podium to start a season for Scott Dixon. Barely seen all day. Comes with a hall of points when the noted closest challengers faulted. How impressive is Scott with these types of performances? Yeah, it, it's the the age and the discovery of what makes championships that just we see throughout many, many eras, Daniel. You go, aha. Uh-huh. Uh, that's why, <laughs> that's why some drivers go from, wow, they're really quick and they keep winning some races each year, but why do they have no championships to, ah, uh, first time, second time, third time, that thing that starts to click, uh, it just pays off where you get a Dixon who could have pushed harder at some points, did not do anything crazy to throw away a really solid open and will live to fight for victory another day while holding, what, third in the championship to start the season? If you're still here, you're still listening, give me some thoughts. What do we do for a fifth anniversary? Um, If we assume that I'm not going to be able to come up with anything, I'll see if Roger can drop something, but who knows. Uh, I don't know. Give me some ideas. Maybe we all just take a nap. Is that a guy who just finished his first IndyCar race? That's about right. <laughs> How you doing, Romain? I mean, I, of course you wanted to win like you do every race, but I don't know. It looked like you had a pretty dang good day, but just love to uh, yeah, tell did, folks about um, it. Yeah, exactly. We did, we did well. You know, we, uh, there were a lot to learn today from the rolling start to the strategy, the fuel saving, the tires, the, the racing in, in IndyCar, the push to pass. So really, I think we, uh, we can be proud of our weekend. Um, obviously qualified seventh, second fastest in the warm up this morning. You know, we we maybe had a bit of higher expectations, but I think we just need to be very proud of what we've done. It's the first one out of many, and uh, you know, that's uh, next week we restart from zero, basically street course, different tires, uh, ticket that I don't know, and and we go again and we learn. So generally, it's been uh, it's been a really good day. Looking at all that you did all that you learned and whatnot, it looked like there were some pretty intense battles on track. 
looked like one or two of your pit stops, you know, being your first pits, live pit stops, you know, looks like there might have been a couple things there and we'll clean up when you get to St. Petersburg. But you're a guy who's coming into Barber just looking for experience, as you said, all these boxes to check off. Tell me about being out there running hard in battle with name all the drivers, uh, either those who are in front of you or behind you. I'm guessing you got a pretty good feel of what uh, IndyCar is like in 2021. No, exactly. I mean, you know, we, uh, we're here with the big boys, with the, the Chip Ganassi, the, the Penske, uh, the Andretti's uh, in front of us. Um, so that, that's really good. Uh, you know, Seb Baudet did a great race today, and it, it showed that IndyCar, you can start late and try a, a bit of a gamble on the strategy and it can't work. So that's, that's also the beauty of it. And uh, for us, you know, I think we, we know where we can work. We know where we can improve. And, uh, you know, uh, again, next next race, we we restart from, from zero. But I think uh, the whole product knows that, no, we, they, should, uh, they should count on us. And, uh, they, uh, yeah, we won't give them a good, an easy time. Hmm. Tell me, Romain, about the spirit of this team now that you have one race weekend behind you and maybe how that fits with you coming off of Formula One didn't always have the best. You were often having to fight your way forward. As you know, this is not the biggest team that you're partnered with, but now in your first race weekend together, almost make the fast six, race hard to come home 10th. Seems like from the outside, this is a perfect match between challengers. Yeah, I think it's a great team, you know, good spirit. Just want to go racing and, and racing fast. And uh, we've got really good people, you know. They uh, they helped me a lot to get ready uh, for today. You know, uh, we don't talk about it much, but for me, it was before the race start. It was it was quite a difficult moment jumping back in a race car after what happened last year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was uh, you know wasn't wasn't easy. I cried a bit before jumping the car. Yeah. If I'm being honest, big, big mix of emotions. And then I focus and I say, no, let's go racing. But, uh, you know, for me, it was, it was a big day with a couple of issues uh, that we can sort out for the future. And uh, and then from there, we, um, we, we we get stronger. But I think everyone knows that, uh, you know, we we are the, yes, we are the small team, but um, we are we're here to race and race hard. How are the uh, the biceps doing? How's the core? How's uh, How are you doing after 90 laps of no power steering? Well, it was you know it was hard work as you would expect. Uh, I train hard to to make it good, uh, but nothing beats a good race. So I'm stronger than I was this morning. Last thing for you it was really cool to see so many people on social media just following you. I was seeing notes from people, Formula One groups and fans and such who never had an interest in IndyCar before, saying. They were following just because of you and cheering you on. Not that we're surprised, but tell me about feeling that effect now in your first race, knowing that it seems like you had a lot of the world looking in on uh, Leeds, Alabama. Yeah, I think, you know, for, for everyone, it's a great, it's a great adventure. Um, obviously, for me personally, I think that people are generally happy that I, I got back to racing after what I went through. Um I think I think they really discovered the oh my goes on through through that 
that tough moment, I think, for the team, very kind because they, you know, they, they offered me the opportunity to to come racing in the US, um, as well as as Rick Ware. Uh, and I think, you know, we we made them proud this weekend, and then Indica, obviously, because it's a very American championship. I'm telling you that it is super competitive, it is super close, and and it is good to watch. So. Having for everyone to win-win situation, and if I can bring, uh, you know, a bit of my uh, part to the puzzle here uh, to make IndyCar even more famous, even more watched, and I am I'm more than proud of that.